Hi, my name is Sam Williams. Welcome to episode number 26 of my 60s music podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. So first of all, I'd like to welcome all of you to episode number 26 of my 60s music podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or on Stitcher, or on iHeartRadio, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? Well, I'm just going to give you a redescription of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, I'm a 22-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 60s music fan slash expert slash nerd. And uh, each week of this podcast, I first talk about, I take one song from the 60s, and first talk about my opinion on the song, and why I think it's so good. Or why I think it sucks, and then do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song. And in that part of the show, I talk, I talk about the chords and melody lyrics for the song, and break it down for you guys, and show you exactly what makes a song so good, and why I think you would like it too. And, on, and then, the second part of the show, I talk about the history behind the song, I talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, the studio musicians on the track, what studio the song was recorded at, the label was released on, all the juicy behind-the-scenes details on each and every song. I talk about with each each week with this episode of this podcast is going to be the second part of the show. Now, before we move on with this week's episode of the podcast, I wanted to address something to you guys. Um, since starting the podcast in like late April, early May, I've been doing getting a really good job of getting at least forty to seventy lessons per episode with each episode that I've been putting out. And unfortunately, what happened with the last couple episodes? I put out this podcast, um, those couple episodes stalled in the 20s and 30s in terms of listenership. And I'm not really sure exactly why those episodes stalled in the 20s and 30s. I mean, um, maybe the people that listened to this show like lost interest and they moved on to other things. Or maybe the people that were regularly listening to the show have gotten really, really busy uh, the last two or three weeks and they just couldn't tune in. Um, I'm not I'm really sure exactly why those episodes stalled in the 20s and 30s and why they didn't get as many listeners as I would hope they would. But um, since I'm, especially since I'm not getting any feedback from people that do listen to the show, I don't know. Um, but in order, so basically what I'm going to do about that is that I'm going to switch things up for this week's episode of the podcast. Instead of uh, splitting the pod, the, the show into two parts and releasing those separately, um, part one being my opinion and my analysis on the arrangement of the song, and part two being the history behind it. I'm going to do it all in one episode, um, just to see if that makes any difference in the amount of listeners I get uh, you know, per episode. And another reason why I'm doing that is because the artist I'm going to be talking about in uh, this week's episode of the podcast, I don't, there isn't enough history about him that I know about that could really, um, you know, that I can dedicate a whole separate episode um just on the history about him so there isn't really a whole lot of history that i know about him that that could really just dedicate one like one singular episode just for that so i'm gonna just uh you know do both in this episode i'm gonna talk about my opinion of the song and i'm also gonna talk about the history behind it. i'm gonna do it all in this one episode and next next week's episode will be another two-parter but moving on let's get started in this week's song shall we 
Okay, so um, I'm actually going to dedicate this week's episode to a friend of mine, a really close friend of mine named Cheyenne Bayat. I've, I've known him for about five years. He's become like a brother to me. He's become a really close friend of mine. And, uh, and the reason why I'm dedicating this episode to him is because he really likes the song and artist that I'm going to be doing in this week's episode of the podcast. So I'm sure he'll be happy if I, that I talked about him in, in this podcast and I'm hope that he'll listen to it and he'll learn something from it. And by the way, he is 21 and the song is over 50 years old. So that's proof that somebody my age could really love the song and artist and it's not just for um, people that grew up during the 60s and were alive at the time when the song was recorded and released. Um, but moving on. Um, so I am really, really excited for the song I'm reviewing in this week's episode of the podcast. I mean, it is hands down one of the best R&B soul records of the 60s. One that is one of the grooviest, most laid back, most relatable, most kick-ass songs of its era. And I will never understand anybody that does not like this song at all. And trust me, you might have to get your ears examined if you don't. And that is how much I love this song. This song was released in July of 1967. It's by an artist named Brenton Wood. It's none other than Gimme Little Sign. Oh my god! This song is fucking great! I mean, this this is definitely one song that I truly think is incredible... And it's also one of those songs that, if I were to hear it on the radio, I would instantly sing along to it in the car or on the bus if I were to hear it on my phone, on a satellite radio station I usually listen to on my phone. And it is definitely a song that whenever I hear it, I instantly want to crank up the volume and sing the song at the top of my lung, especially when it gets the chorus. And in this portion of the show, I'm going to talk about what makes this song so good and why I honestly think that you will fall in love with this song as well and why I think you'll like it just as much as I did when I first heard this song way back when. But first, let's talk about the way this song sounds musically. Okay, so if you're listening to the song, you'll notice that there really isn't anything much going on in terms of the arrangement. Um, there really isn't any fancy playing done by the backing musicians on this track. But this song is definitely one of those lyric and melody-driven songs. So the musicians are smart enough to realize this about the song ahead of time before the red light went on in the studio. So if you notice, they really don't play anything fancy behind Brendan Wood's lead vocal. They simply play the chords of the song while the drummer does some interesting and tasteful drum fills in the pre-choruses and at the end of each chorus. But I really do think the reason why they are doing this is because they knew that if they played some weird counter melodies or complex licks behind the lead singer, it would distract a listener from what's really important in the song, which is the melody and lead vocal and backup harmonies, and the lyrics too. So they definitely apply the K-I-S-S, otherwise known as KISS, the keep it simple stupid formula, and just played the chords of the song behind the singer and didn't really add anything super tasteful to what they're already doing that would distract the listener of this track from the lyric and melody. And I actually have a song that's very similarly structured and arranged like this one with backup harmonies and, and, and nothing complex but straight chords under my lead and backup vocals within the arrangement of the song. Also, the verse and pre-chorus and chorus structure. 
And except the chord progression for my song, at least, is way more complex than this one. And the, by the way, the name of the song is called That's Not You. And I'm currently working on a new arrangement for it. And I'll be re-releasing that song with that new arrangement pretty soon. Um, stay tuned for when I'll release that song on my Instagram account. And by the way, the handle for that account is iHeartOldies. But anyways, getting back to the song. Two things regarding the music I really love about the song is the backup harmonies on this track. Who, by the way, were provided by the singer himself and nobody else. And that really cool Farfisa organ solo on the bridge. That's a perfect surprise addition to the song to give the listeners a break from the song's repeti- repetitive overall structure. But I love how it's very brief and it cuts out to get the best to get to the best part of the song, which is the chorus. And boy, do I just want to turn up the volume on the song at the very end when he hits a high falsetto note just before the song fades out. And also, harmonically, I love that ascending chord progression build in the pre-chorus to break away from the two-chord monotony in the verses and choruses. And also, I really do love how the singer came up with two completely different melodies for the verses and choruses over the same F minor to E flat major chord progression for both sections of the song. It shows how much you can do with very little to work with. A valuable songwriting lesson out there for those of you who are listening to the show and aspire to be a songwriter. And I also love that subtle lyrical switch from the first to second verse, from Give Me a Little Sugar Darling in the first verse to Give Me a Little Sweet Talk in the second. I guarantee you, you probably would have not noticed that if I didn't point that out to you, but... It's those subtle little changes in the song that make it great, along with how his harmonies cancel out in the second verse, but are brought back in for the first verse. The song is very simple, but it's those little minor changes in it that make it great. And one really subtle but great part of the song is that tiny little pause at the very end of the pre-chorus and the start of the chorus, when Brenton Wood vocals kick in to start the chorus. That part was very clever and original and super badass. But really, let's get to the real reason why I still love the song so much. Why you might like it as well. And that is the song's lyrics. Okay, so to me, what makes a song so appealing, and not just to me, but maybe for you as well, is how relatable the song is. Especially to guys back then and even today. But first... To prove to you and show you guys as to what makes a song so relatable and so good and why I think you'll love the song as well is let me ask you guy listeners of this podcast a question. Okay, so how many of you guys out there that listen to this podcast and you have a girl that you're currently interested in romantically or sexually and all you could ever want from her is to have her let you know whether or not she is also interested in you? Or better yet, have have her give you singles that will let you know that she's really into you. And how about this? Was this song written and recorded 51 years ago? Well, the answer to that question would be yes. But do guys my age still want that from a girl that they either A, want to have sex with or B, want to date in this day and age in 2018? Well... The answer to that question would be 100% resounding, absolutely, fuck yes, they would. I mean, because let's be honest here, that is exactly what the singer is trying to tell 
to the girl that he's talking to in this song. He's basically saying in this song to the girl that he's interested in, hey, if you want to get down dirty with me, don't be afraid to tell me whether or not you feel the same way about me. And you want me to do that with you. But if you don't, don't give me mixed signals and tell me you do, but then change your mind and say that you don't. Because I definitely do not want that from you. Am I starting to sound like a lot of guys my age? Well, if I am, and I probably am, this is just proof that the song has an amazing pair of legs for a 51-year-old song from 1967. And that this song has the ability to be relatable, not just for baby boomers who grew up with this music 50 years ago, but also people my age as well. And what I also love about the song is that and Brenton Wood comes off in this particular song as an elegant and charming ladies man that simply wants what a lot of guys want from girls and isn't afraid to communicate that with them and be straight with them on what he wants from the girl he's talking to. Now, ladies, please take note that you might find this man very attractive based off of my description of him. But please keep in mind, he is still alive, but he is currently in his mid-70s, and he certainly does not look the way he used to. But if you younger lady listeners out there who listen to this podcast um, are interested in an older man, I would definitely hit him up if he is in fact currently available at his age, in which I highly doubt he is, but you never know. Now, before I get to the history behind this artist, we have to talk about the length of this song. Now, lately I've been seeing a lot of artists nowadays, and by the way, these are all like brand new artists that are contemporary to 2018. Um, a lot of these songwriters nowadays are writing four to five minute songs. And while there isn't, really isn't anything wrong with that, because really there's no rules as to how long your songs can be. I mean, in this day and age, they can be as long as you want. I mean, there's no there's no rule that says you have to write a song you know, that is of this length, you know, especially in the, in the, now we're living like the era of Spotify and Apple music. I mean, songs can be as long as they need to be, but, um, sometimes it's better to keep your songs short and sweet and just say only what you need to say in a song and then head on out. And this song is a great example of a song like that. And it originally clocked in at 2 minutes and 22 seconds. And to me, that is just amazing how such a great song could be so short. But really, this artist that sang and wrote the song really just said what he needed to say in the song and had an, and had, and had an extra section added to break up the song's monotonous structure, but that's it. And you have to keep in mind that in the time that he wrote and recorded the, and released the song, we are living in an era of AM radio where every commercially released single had to be under three minutes in length. And it really wasn't until FM radio came in to play in the later part of the decade where the rule no longer applied to music, at least for that format. And other songs from this era also pushed the envelope in terms of length and helped get longer songs more airplay. But really, when it comes down to it, a good song doesn't really need to be longer than three minutes. I mean, let's face it, because that is really the attention span that most people that actively listen to music have. And this song is proof of that. 
Um, a lot of times songs that are super long and are that and are that way because they have repeating sections and super long solos are not songs that most people listen to the whole way through. But shorter songs are definitely uh, easier for people to listen to for sure. And by the way, if you don't agree with me on that and you think I'm at talking crazy and you just think that you can listen to a song that's longer than three minutes and you can sit through a song that's about four or five minutes of length or longer than that, um, please email me at samandhickeywilliams.com or reach out to me via Instagram at iheardoldies and tell me that I'm wrong. Otherwise, I'm sticking to that statement. But moving on, let's talk about the artist that did this song. Um, because when it comes to black R&B singers, Brenton Wood's name is not is oftentimes not thrown around as much as, let's say, Sam Cooke or Marvin Gaye or Otis Redding. But that does not mean that he was just as good, if not better, than all those four people combined. And unlike all of those people I just mentioned, Brenton Wood is still alive and still actively performing to this day. But what really made him unique was he oftentimes wrote lyrics about things the normal everyday guys at the time could relate to. And he was born Alfred Jesse Smith in Shreveport, Louisiana in 1941, and his family later moved to Los Angeles in the 50s. And before he became big, he and as a solo artist, he was a member of a few different doo-wop groups in L.A. at the time, such as the Quotations and Lil' Freddy and the Rockets, and uh, he cut a bunch of singles for a bunch of different labels, but things didn't really start to pick up for him until he was signed to Double Shot Records in 1967. And by the way, um, his name probably came from the area that he uh, didn't that was they lived close to called Brentwood in uh, in West LA. Um, but he actually uh, grew up in Compton. That's where he was from originally. He went to Compton College and studied music over there. Um, but his, his stage name probably came from the area that he was close to, known as Brentwood, which is close by the Westwood and Santa Monica. Um, the first single he put out for a label was Oogum Boogum. And when he first got the song, it was called I'm Gonna Cast a Spell on You. And he really didn't like that version of the song, so he drastically rewrote it and called it the Oogum Boogum song to refer to a spell that was, the girl was casting on him. And he used the phrase as another word to say abracadabra, a word that describes the magic trick somebody plays on another person. And he included various different fashion items people were wearing at the time to make the song relevant and relatable to the time it was recorded and released in. And it managed to get up to number 34 on the charts in the late spring, early summer of 1967, but this particular song, by the way, which is giving me a little sign, in my opinion, was way less dated and way more relatable to guys my age than the last song I just mentioned. Brenton wrote Give Me a Little Sign after a few breaks up, breakups with this girl and was it was really written as a plea to his ex to have her give him a sign if things weren't really going that great with him and her or not. And as far as the behind-the-scenes details on the recording session of this song, I frankly don't know much about it, but it was but it was recorded in Nashville West Studios in Los Angeles with Charles Underwood Engineering and Hal Wood and Joseph Hooven producing the session, and the name of the band Brenton Wood used to back him up on the record was another band signed to Double Shot Records called Kent and the Candidates, led by a guy named Kent Sprague. 
I frankly don't know who was in that band or who were the musicians on the record, but they were the group that backed up Brendan Wood on ni- on this song. Ninety percent of the singles he released on Double Shot Records in the studio. But I do know that the Farfisa organ solo on this track was played by a guy named Mighty Mo Rogers. But I don't know much else about him besides that. This is also his biggest hit single, and it was released in ju- late July, early August of 1967, and peaking at number 9 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in October of that year. He managed to have one more small follow-up hit single called Baby You Got It, which is, by the way, another really excellent song by him that you should definitely check out. Um, before disappearing into obscurity after subsequent releases uh, that he put out after um, Oogum Boogum and Giving Little Sign and Baby Guy charted, and after those subsequent singles that he put out failed to make any noise, um, he fell into obscurity. But one thing that I will say about him is that his name might not be familiar to you, but if you grew up in L.A. and you are Hispanic, chances are... You know who he is, and you are familiar with his music. See, 90% of Bryn Wood's fans today, and even back then, are Hispanic. He has a huge Latino following, especially in L.A., with Latino people, young and old, enjoying and discovering his music, and his current shows are always packed with people of that ethnicity. But I hope this podcast episode will help get his music to people that weren't Hispanic and didn't grow up in L.A., and approve people that his music wasn't just for those people, but for many young men and girls around my age as well. Also, Brenton Wood, spoiler alert, for those of you who haven't seen him live recently, doesn't really sound the way he used to. Pretty much all of his songs have different keys than in the original recordings from 50 years ago, but hey, I gotta be honest with you, not every artist from that era specifically the 60s, still sounds exactly like they did when they were young today, while they aren't so young anymore. But the way they sounded back then is forever captured in the recordings they did back in the day, and those recordings will live on for years and years and years after they die, and will be passed on to generation after generation. So that concludes episode number 26 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and if you liked my analysis on this week's song, and you love my enthusiasm about this particular track, and you honestly f- listen to the song I talked about in this week's episode of the show, you never heard it before, and you fell in love with it, you loved my analysis on the track, and you honestly thought this is one of the best episodes I've put out so far, you can email me at samahickeywilliams.com, and uh, you can also follow me on Instagram, and you can also get in touch with me on Instagram, at iHeartOldies, and you can check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. One more thing I wanted to mention to you guys before I close out this episode of this podcast. Um, my birthday is coming up in precisely two weekends from now, uh, actually three, I'm going to be 23 years old on November 2nd. And to celebrate that, I'm going to be playing a birthday show. Um, I got invited back to the same place I played at last time. And that, by the way, that venue is called Bar Lubitsch. It's in West Hollywood. It's on San Monica Boulevard in between Fairfax and the Brea. It's on, the show's on November 3rd. Um, the music starts at 8 o'clock. I have a friend of mine opening up for me named Ken Perrin. He's on at 8, and then I'm on at 9. But 
Uh, if you like listening to the show and you live in the LA area, if I don't know you and you want to come out and see me, then please go and do that and wish me a happy birthday. I would really appreciate that. Um, there is a ten dollar cover and it is twenty one plus, so there is that. So, um, I want, but anyways, so I really appreciate if you can come out to that show and again. It's November third at Bar Lubitsch. I go on at nine. My friend Ken goes on at eight, and yeah, so it's and I'm really looking forward to that show and I hope. To see a lot of you guys who listen to the show and don't know me there. So yeah, so I'm Sam Williams. And uh, thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the podcast. And by the way, next week's episode is definitely going to be a two-parter. So look out for that. So I'm Sam Williams and thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the podcast. Until next week, please keep things moving.